everybody, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and this is Debbie coming to you from sunny South Florida. And finally, it is sunny where I am. Very interesting, last week was Hurricane Ian, and it did not affect me down here. I don't know if it affected our guest, we'll ask her in a minute. But I flew to Virginia, and it was freezing cold, and Ian followed us. And I'm staying in Florida. <laughs> so, a wonderful day. And thank you so much, everybody, for being here today. I have a special guest coming to me, for coming to us from sunny South Florida, but a little bit further north from me. I have Miss Jennifer Lee here today. Jen, welcome to Stand Up and Speak Up. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I love your story. Um, I'm sorry that it happened to you. Uh, but the, you know, it's really interesting because I met you through Sherry Martin from another friend of mine from Women's Prosperity Network. Disclosure, folks, Jen and I have not met in person, but that's typical of me and my guests. <laughs> but when I was interviewed for her podcast and we started talking again, guys, I'm finding that we are sisters by other misters. We have so many things in common once we start seeing everybody. All right. So Jen, Usually when I start my show, I like to find out about my guest a little bit. We want to go back in time. Back when you were a kid, I'd like to know where did you grow up? And then give me a little bit about your family. Sure. So I grew up in a small town in northern Michigan. Um, and I have two sisters and a brother. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad sold life insurance. So he was completely commission-based. And now as an adult, I have true appreciation for what it's like to own a business. And if you don't make a sale, you don't get money and you can't feed your family. So um, I appreciate all of his hard work in, in raising us kids. And my mom being a stay-at-home mom, that's not an easy job as a mom of two boys. They're grown. They're both Marines now, one active, one um, inactive reserves. Um, so I know that's not an easy job either. Brothers and sisters. Yep, I have a older sister who lives here, a younger sister who is going to move out here, and a brother in Virginia. And speaking of Virginia, last November we went to a wedding there, 
and I completely understand <laughs> it was freezing. They all were used to it, right? And my husband and I, like we had our winter coats on, our hats on, and everybody is out in just their little party dresses. <laughs> but Florida spoils you with the nice hot weather. It certainly does. Yeah, I was actually up in the Baltimore area for the wedding and it was 47 and raining. And I did not find that very fun. <laughs> <laughs> I had my pretty dress, but it was under my warm coat. So, uh, absolutely. Anyway, Jen, when you were young, did you, like I grew up around, up in Vermont. My brothers loved to hunt. They were fishermen. They, you know, they taught me how to shoot. My dad taught me how to shoot. Uh, since we're going to be talking about a robbery later on, did you have any experience around weapons and guns when you were little? Absolutely. Um, I think my extended family, my dad, my brother, they were all hunters, deer hunters. Um, my dad also belonged to a handgun league. And I remember in the basement, he would make, you know, the bullets and everything. So very much grew up around that. We were taught gun safety. My dad is the one who taught my two boys gun safety and would take them to the range as well and teach them how to respect and have a healthy sense of fear when it came to a handgun, because that's important. So yes, I had um, no fear of guns or anything like that. Okay. Same here. And my kids were taught that way. Actually, it was funny when I was listening to your podcast and they called you Annie Oakley. <laughs> that's what I call my daughter. She's an excellent shot. So we're going to jump right into this. And I want, because I think your story is really important before and after the fact. And I started the, the promotion saying the gun was pointed at my face. I survived. Give me the story of where were you that day? You know, what was your, what was your life like going into that day? Okay. So my life, I was store manager of a women's clothing store and it was located in a busy shopping center. So I had anchor stores, large stores um, on each end and then small stores in between. So the robbery happened on a Saturday evening at 7 p.m. And that was a very busy shopping time. So I think that's important to know that it was very brazen for the robber to come in and, and rob us the way that he did. But I was store manager. I was very accomplished. Um, I was the credit card queen. I could come in on my day off and get people to open <laughs> credit cards for the store. And um, so I took a lot of pride in that. Um, so I, I loved my job. I absolutely loved my job. And it was my friends, my family. And that was like my home. Because when you're a store manager, you know, you work overtime and everything. I always felt very safe there and very secure. and. I loved it. Had there been a problem at the store or at the mall or wherever you were with other incidents prior to this? Where I was located, no. Now, a couple of months prior, uh, about 20 miles north, there had been a series of robberies that occurred. There was about 12 of them, and they were hitting women-owned stores like nail salons and things like that. Um, I worked for a chain women's store. So some of those stores did have interactions with the robber. They were robbed, but it was a different scenario. They didn't have the abduction. The gun wasn't visible, things like that. So the the robberies had stopped. Um, they never caught them. And then you just, they stopped for a good month and a half. 
Was there and any, then did you guys have any extra security because of that? <clears throat> for a short while, they put security in the stores. Um, but then with the length of time that the robbery stopped, they pulled security out and we had no cameras in the store either. When did mm -hmm. this happen? It was the end of April, 2012. So a decade ago. Okay. So you were there. It was a busy, busy evening. People in the store, you had other, you had uh, how many guests or how many uh, shoppers? There were nine of us total, including two younger boys and a teenage girl and one male. And you were there by yourself or what kind of staff did you have? One sales associate. Mm -hmm. so just the two of you for the nine guests. Yes. Okay. That was no that was normal. Typical. I, mm -hmm. I'm not a shopper. Yeah, it's called payroll. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay, so you guys were busy doing your thing and you were in the back or up front. Where where were you and, and how did this happen? So I was in the fitting room area. I had three customers uh, in there at the time. And the fitting rooms were located in the center of the store, not the best place. You could not see the front door and I could not see the register. So you were just kind of tucked in the, in the middle. But I remember I was talking with the lady with the two boys. They were sitting in one of the fitting rooms on the bench. And behind me, I hear, give me all your money. And I remember I stopped trying to register those words because I'm used to hearing, can you zip me up? Does this look good? You got shoes, you know, things like that. And again, because I didn't turn around, I heard, give me all your money. And then that is when I turned around and there was a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it. And by a man with a black mask. And I remember I looked at the gun and I looked up at his face. I looked up at the gun again. And then I turned and I went to the register area. I could see behind me that he waved the gun for the other customers to follow my lead. My sales associate was already up at the cash register area. And I just kind of gave her a look. And I remember as I walked up there thinking, it's weird what you think when you're in high intense situations, but thinking, how, how long had he been watching me? Like, how did he just come in the store and be like, oh, she looks like she's in charge or had he been stalking us? What is it a week? Was it a month? Because that, <clears throat> excuse me, that thought made me uneasy, obviously. So I get up to the register and I'm behind the first till. And I remember I take out the dollar bills and I give those to him. And so as to not speak, because you don't want to startle him, I remember taking the till and holding it up. And like a van away, I took my hand and I went over the coins. And that was my way of asking him, do you want the coins as well? And he said, no. Now to my left is where the customers had lined up. And I remember hearing praying. I remember our father who art in heaven, shh. One of the customers shushed him because he was loud. And again, we didn't want to disrupt the, the robber. I heard crying. You know, I can see a mom trying to console her two boys. So I go over to the other register and I clean that one out. He's taking the wallets and the money from the customers. And at that point, he asked if we have a safe. And I said, we don't have a safe. 
And I could tell by the look on his face, he didn't believe me, but we honestly, we did not have a safe. He looked behind me and there was a swinging door that went to our back room. And he asked me about that. And I told him it goes to our back room, my desk, stock room, storage. And I knew that was where he was going to have us go next. I also knew from the description of the prior robberies, he didn't do this. He had left. He took the money and he left. So now he's still in the store. He has the money. It's busy. Why are you still here? Is, is what's going through my mind. I had what I guess you would describe as like this out-of-body experience where I had the most intense need to protect that I have ever felt in my life. It was like I became the mom of these strangers, these customers. And I ushered them because he had said, I, I want you to go back there. And I had the customers all go in front of me. Because in that moment, if he was going to hurt someone, then I needed it to be me. I didn't want it to be me. I didn't want to be a hero or anything like that. But it's like I was mama bear and I did not want anybody to hurt my children because I, that was just, a, I can't deal with that. So they make their way to the back and he stops me again and he says, where's your safe? Again, I told them we don't have one. It was concerning to me because now I was pretty sure that he did not believe me. We continue on our way to the back. We're all lined up in front of my desk. And this dates my story a little bit, but he had me pull the landline out of the wall, which I did. And then he asked for our cell phones. And I had my cell phone in my pocket. It was kind of big. I had on pants and I knew you could see the outline of my phone in my pant pocket. I'm watching everybody relinquish their phones. And as they're doing that, we had a newly constructed room put in back there that was used for the district. We had hangers, fixtures, things like that. And he asked me about that room. And when he did, I knew that's where he was going to put us next. And I knew when I turned to walk in there, he would most likely see my cell phone in my pocket. So I as well gave up my cell phone. So at that point, I'm like, okay, Nobody has a phone. It's what I am thinking. We all um, walk into the room and he's in there with us. And he asked a really odd question about the door in regards to if it closes or uh, how it closes. I don't remember exactly. I just know it was very odd. And the reality is we had never shut that door. It was new, newly constructed room. I had no reason to shut it. So again, I gave him an answer of, I don't know, which I know didn't please him. Just like, do you have a safe? When I said no, he is pointing the gun at us and he says, don't say anything and nobody will get hurt. Mind you, I can still hear the same crying, the same praying, all of, all of these things. And he goes over and he puts his hand on the door and he looks at us one more time and he says, don't say anything and nobody will get hurt. And at that moment, he exits and he pulls the door shut. And as you know, with a door that's never been pulled shut, there's that scraping. <laughs> and I remember that that scraping sound. So now he has left and we are all in this room. And one of my customers who I had been working with in the fitting room, I, I 
she was very dear to me. I knew she had been through some recent tragedy, a murder, uh, I think, of her grandson. She is starting to have a panic attack. And I go over to her and I remember I, I took my hands and I pinned her up against the wall and I looked in her eyes and I said, baby, I said, I need you to stay with me. I need you to stay with me. And I tried to get her to kind of calm her breathing and follow my breathing. I wasn't as successful. I could slowly start to feel her body go to the ground. I called over the gentleman. I said, I need you to help me. I was like, she's going to fall. Now she is on the ground and she's still panicking. Well, in that moment, my sales associate had put her phone in her bra. She pulled it out. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I need you to call 911. And as she is starting to call 911, as store manager, I'm trained to listen for the front doorbell, right? I hear the doorbell go off. And so I'm thinking, okay, great. He's gone, right? She's on the phone. She calls 911. And I told her, please be fast and hang up. So she did. Going back to this customer, now she's transitioned from a panic attack into a seizure. Mm -hmm. And I know how to put on a Band-Aid. So I am way out of my league now. I'm watching her start to get medically worse. I hear the doorbell again. So now I have two doorbells. So I have no idea now what's going on. Did the robber come back, right? I get asked, Jen, did you panic? Watching this lady having this seizure is the moment panic started to set in. I could feel it. It was like from the tips of my toes and coming all the way up my body. I had to choke it down. And I was like, you can't do this, Jen. Like, you got to keep it together. Because um, I, I couldn't let anything happen to this lady. If she died, uh, you know, under my care, I that that would, how do I live with that? And so... I had my sales associate give me her phone because if the robber did come back and he did push that door open, I wanted to be the one caught on the phone. I call 911 again. And as they are starting to answer, I hear the doorbell again. So now I have three doorbells. I have no idea what is going on outside that door. 911 dispatch, she was amazing. She kept me calm and she was able to give me the directions that I needed over the phone to just stabilize this lady so that, you know, she didn't get worse or whatever it is that, you know, happens when you're having a seizure. She was wonderful. I have the greatest respect for 911 dispatchers. All she had was my voice and my description that I could give in this very anxious moment of mine. As I'm helping her, the door pushes open. And I have to imagine, like me, everybody else in that room must have stopped breathing for a second, uh, not knowing who actually pushed the door open until I looked up and I realized it was law enforcement. And then I'll never forget that moment of relief, of feeling safe, at least a little bit again, and knowing that the real protectors were there. I was thrust into this position of being a protector. Um, but these, you know, our law enforcement are, are trained to do that. They wake up every morning wanting to do that, right? <laughs> I just wanted to sell dresses. <laughs> so they came. And then from there, I remember they ushered out the customers to the shoe department to get their information. And I looked at the one officer and I said, I need a cigarette. 
And at that time I smoked, I don't smoke anymore, but, uh, and I went outside and I had a cigarette. And then from there, we start now another no, whole new process now, once that, you know, we have all been rescued. I just relived that with you, Jen. Um, I used to be a, a branch manager at a bank. And I remember I was not at my branch when it was robbed, but I talked to all my staff afterwards and it, it the same description the same feelings well up and you, you do kind of take control and do what you need to do until after afterwards. So there was a period of time though. When did you find, had they caught him at that point? Did, did anybody know if they'd caught him? So what happened is they, well, on the way out, uh, he had taken my wallet off my desk. So now he had all of my information, my my license with my current address, my cell phone, everything. And um, the I told the police officers, I said, my cell phone, I said, I have, where's my droid, which is a tracking app, right? In case you lose your phone. And so I told them about it. And so they actually were, he kept my phone. So they were able to track him 20 miles north at a bar, living it up with alcohol, drugs, everything else. And that was probably 24 to 48 hours, I'm guessing, later. I remember I got a call from the detective at like three in the morning and he was like, I hate to bother you at this time, but I figure you would like to know that we caught him. And they caught the driver of the vehicle as well. So if he wouldn't have kept my cell phone, then maybe he would have got away with it, but he he didn't. They never found my cell phone, but they were able to ping it and find him. Oh, there's a there's a tip then to keep, uh, <laughs> keep that security on your on your phone. Uh, I do that just so in case my son somebody loses their phone or I lo- lose mine and somebody needs to find us. It's it's really good security mode too. Uh, I do keep track of my daughter if she's on a date or. <laughs> Yeah, my girlfriends who asked me, keep an eye on me. It's not a bad idea to have that on there. Um, so all that was taking place. And when you finally left the store, you had been in control. You'd had all your feelings in control. What happened then? How did you feel after that? Oh, I was a wreck. I remember initially the police officer was like, wow, you look relatively calm for everything that happened. And I said, just give me a few hours and I'm not going to be okay. Um, as I was making phone calls in the store, calling my DM slowly, I could start the adrenaline start to go away and my body want to physically shake. Like now the anxiety and the reality of everything I had just been through was starting to affect me. I stayed with a friend that night. I, I drank too much, obviously trying to forget everything. And then I got sick. But the next day I had to go back to the store and actually for the first week I I worked with law enforcement and the detective just trying to recall everything I could walking through the steps of the store, um, all of that, anything I could do. Um, The, my sense of fear and, and safety, as I like to describe it, it wasn't just shaken, it was literally shattered in front of me because my store was like my home, right? I felt safe there. And somebody just came in and and intruded it and stole from us. And it's a very violating feeling that I don't think is really addressed or recognized when you go through something like this. So I was trying to navigate 
that, the fact that I didn't feel safe in my own home, I had to have somebody stay with me for a little while. I took different safety measures. Like I no longer drove the same way home. I had two cats and they didn't like strangers. So I would not enter my home if my cats did not come to the door. I would stand there and just wait. And then I took little slivers of paper. And when I left, I would, at the bottom of the drawer, I would hold the paper there and then I would close my my door. And then I knew if that paper had fallen to the ground that somebody had been in my place. This is how I lived. Like I completely took for granted my sense of safety until it was shattered. It was taken away from me. So those, that changed my life, at least for a while. That's how I, how I lived. Did they ever find out why he might have targeted your particular store? If you were in, if there are lots of stores around you, why that store? That's a great question. Um, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, next to us was a radio shack. So that was full of men, you know, but um I don't remember any of the other stories, stores, to be honest with you. Um, but I don't know. It, it, a woman-owned store, only two people. Uh, he could have been casing us for a while. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. That's I'm a great not, question. I'm not sure I would have targeted, a, you know, thinking there's a lot of money at a dress <laughs> store. I mean, maybe. Well, yeah, that, I think, yeah, there was only like $1,600. But I guess if you don't have any means of income, $1,600 is a lot of money. And if you have a habit, then I suppose any money you can get is, is good. How, how did he react when he walked in? Was, did he feel like, did you feel like he was, he thought he was in control or was there a little, could you hear a little bit of panic? Had he done this before? He didn't speak much. Oh. Um, and so, uh, so he was the robber that had robbed those other stores. So they did make the connection. He also was a prior felon. So he had already gotten out of the state penitentiary. So perhaps this was his career um, and how he lived. So he was probably well-versed in how to go about it, but I still, it was so busy. Like it still blows my mind, but you know, I, I later in the report because two years after after everything I had been subpoenaed into federal court because he appealed. And in that report, I read that one of the customers had seen him come in and put on his face mask. So I didn't know that fact until I researched and found that report. I wanted to know very little uh, because it, it just tormented me every time I had to go to court. And I know you want to talk about that as well. So one of the, one of the customers did see him come in and put the, the mask on. And then I was the other eyewitness. Did they ask you to write down all that you could immediately? And then was that added to later on? I'm just trying to figure out because in, in my scenario, I, I, I wrote down everything and we, and I asked folks to write down what, what you remember, because I felt writing would help release any emotions uh, attached to the traumatic event. But in your particular case, what you were writing down, what you were telling them was going to help them find him and help, again, evidence. So were you able to remember things? And how did you how did you get that out to law enforcement? I realized that actually we take in more information than we realize until we have to recall it. Because I remembered um, 
people that had been in earlier that day, the color of their clothing, things like that. Um, so I, in the moment, even in that high stress moment, um, I, I remembered particular things. I remember particular distinguishing features of the robber, um, which, because I remembered those things had, ha, you know, helped to catch him and, and identify him uh, even more so. They did come to my house with a lineup. And so I took my time, looked at that, and I identified him positively and confidently um, with the lineup as well. Um, as far as them asking me to write down details, I don't remember, to be honest with you. Um, they did encourage me to go to therapy um, because they noticed the trauma that I was experiencing. Um, and I I enjoyed spending time with them because I felt safe. <laughs> so I, I wanted to help them, yes, but I wanted to feel safe. And that is where I felt safe for me. And I did hear you one time say that the reason you started doing what you're doing now is because you felt what you could say might help somebody else get through it. Because you have a podcast now called I Need Blue. Uh-huh. And originally it was to thank law enforcement and first, uh, first um, responders with what they had done and making note, because how many times do you hear someone say thank you? My husband and I were, were watching a show. We, we watched the Chicago's on Wednesday. So Chicago Med, Chicago Fire. And Chicago Fire last week, a victim or a, it was a, a young woman had been in an accident and fire department helped her. Her father came back to the station and thank them. And we looked at each other and go, how many times does that actually happen? Probably not very many times. And it should. And that's what I really loved about what you did with why I need blue, because they saved you. Now, when you called 911, were you calling? Did, did it come up that this was a robbery? Or did you guys go right into we have a emergency here, a medical emergency? How, how did because it was a short 911 call? Yeah. So the first 911 call was, listen, we've been, you know, robbery, abduction, you know, we need to be rescued, whatnot. And then the second one, because they registered the phone number. So they knew the same phone number was calling them. I'm sure I did a quick, hey, this gender is born. We just called da, da, da. But this is what I really need from you right now. Um, but yeah. Okay. And at that point, <clears throat> one woman was having a, a panic attack. How was everybody else feeling? Did they listen to you? You know, I, Are you when I had to go to federal court, the only thing that I was really thankful for, other than making sure he stayed in jail, was it gave me the opportunity to say thank you to them. It was the first time we were all together because they trusted me. I was a stranger, right? I was a complete stranger to them and they trusted me. You have children there who at any moment can do something um, you had a gentleman there who some, you know, sometimes they want to be the hero, right? They feel that that masculine responsibility, if you will. But they trusted me. And for that, I, I am forever grateful because it could have really changed the outcome of this situation. And what I dealt with a lot afterwards was the what ifs. I didn't deal so much with what actually happened because I knew, right? I lived it. But it's the what ifs. It's the what if when we went into the back and he stopped me to ask about the safe, there were bathrooms there. What if he took me in there and raped me? 
what if he did shoot me? Like all of these things went through my head and they, they plagued me and I needed to go to therapy to talk about that and, and help have somebody help me reason through it. Like that didn't happen. That didn't happen, Jen, you know? Well, that's that fear. And I've heard fear explained as false expectations appearing real. So those what ifs are, are worry. And it, we all say, don't worry. It's useless. It's wasted energy, but that's where the brain goes. So you had a period of time from the robbery until you went to federal court. When you went to court uh, as a victim to give an impact statement or whatever, uh, to tell what happened, were the other folks there? Did they get up and tell their stories also, or were you the only one. I'm going to assume that they did. So what happened with federal court is I was um, the first one to testify, I believe. I I know I was the first one of the victims to testify. um, And I got in front of it was a jury trial. And that was very traumatic every time because understand they also caught the driver. So I went to jury trial for the driver, even though I had never seen him. I think they needed to see the emotional devastation that him being an accomplice had done to somebody, you know. And so this now was my second time in front of a jury. Federal court is a different beast. I remember walking down the long aisle. It was dark. There's more people. Um, I remember, you know, that the robber was on my right. The judge was on my left. Um, as I told my story, I, I cried. They brought me water, Kleenex, which I cried so much that the Kleenex was this ball just like disintegrating in my hand. And I don't know what happened, but I ended up having to come back the second day. I don't know if it was like the end of the day when I testified. I can't remember, but I had to come back again. And so I came back the next morning and testified. So now three times I had to testify in front of a jury and it was hard. And the judge at the end of me telling my story was like, you know, ma'am, do you have anything else you would, you would like to ask? And I looked at the judge and I said, do I ever have to come back? And he said, no, ma'am, you don't. And I said, thank you. And I put my head down and I walked down that aisle, out those doors, never to return. He was like, you can watch the rest of the trial if you want. I said, no, thank you. I do not know what anybody else said. I just needed to walk out those doors, close the chapter, trust when the judge said, you never have to come back. And I haven't. Um, And move on, pick up the pieces again, because the Band-Aid had been ripped off, you know, reliving all of this. And you and I were just talking prior to the show to about victim blame. Mm-hmm. And you felt that when you were up there, right? Because you, you didn't just give your story. You were questioned back by the defense. Absolutely. And the very first thing that they tried to do is tear apart my character, which shocked me um, because they, the reason it went to federal court is because he appealed. And I found this report online and I found it recently. So I I read it all. It was kind of fascinating, but the appeal came through because they were trying to claim that there wasn't strong eyewitnesses Mm. and that the information we provided really wasn't enough to be 100% sure. So the first thing they tried to do is tear apart your character and, you know, you, um, whatever. He, Are you, you prepared know. for that? Did your no. 
No, your team, uh, didn't, your team didn't say this is going to happen. I didn't meet my team. Oh, like I, I had no prep whatsoever. I just showed up like everybody else and was um, called in. So I had no idea, but I do know once um, they started to tear me apart, like they, they shut it down. They were like, okay, this is not, you know, not. You're not on trial. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. But once you got over that, did you get a sense of, of empowerment by being up there and telling your story? Honestly, I don't think I've had any sense of empowerment until I started my podcast. Okay. Empowerment. Where'd that come from? So empowerment is not even a word that I would have thought of because I didn't talk about the robbery. It happened a decade ago. People kind of knew I had been robbed, you know, but nobody knew the details. It wasn't something I talked about, but it wasn't something I really was asked about either. It just was a chapter that was closed. And then until... Uh, kind of going back to what you said initially about law enforcement, I started to watch um, different scenarios on TV of portrayal of our law enforcement. And I knew inside that I had a, diff- a different story, a different thing to depict about how they really helped me and others. And through conversation with a neighbor, we were kind of joking and he said, you should do a podcast. And I didn't listen to podcasts. Really, I, all I knew about a podcast is I can do it at home. Uh, I can talk. I can share my story. How hard can that be, right? Anyway, that that is what started my podcast journey was my way of sharing my story. And in that, to give thanks to our law enforcement and first responders, hence the name I Need Blue. Um, so many wonderful things have happened since then that the blue has just evolved and taken on, to use your word, empowerment. Um, it's more of a focus on survivors. And I still sprinkle in our first responder stories because I am forever grateful for what they have done for me. Um, but it, it has transitioned and it took my peers at a social media event to point out, okay, I need blue doesn't tell me anything about survivors. It doesn't tell me anything about trauma. It doesn't, even your logo doesn't tell me anything. And in that moment, I realized um, they're right. But I also realized that my podcast is no longer like really focused on, on our first responders, but it's more so focused on survivors. So the I Need Blue, I, I like the title, but what I decided to do is take the, the letters of the word blue So I need, so as survivors, I need B to feel as though I belong, to feel loved, understood, and empowered. And so now I've just kind of enhanced my my message to kind of go in that direction. Which is another reason why you your show and my show are so in tune, because stand up and speak up came about because we hide from the things that have happened to us. We become that woman behind the smile and pretend like nothing has happened, but inside it can be eating you up. You know, from the inside out, you're just, you're eating up because you you have to release that. And you have, if anybody's listening, I want you to go to Jen, after the show, go to Jen's podcast, I Need Blue. Series one, episode one is her story. Series one, episode two is when she was talking with her trauma therapist. His name is Alan P. Smith. 
and I actually got to about the midpoint when he's talking about trauma and how trauma is, he said it was stored on the right side of your brain, but it becomes part of your, your cell, your cellular feeling. And to just say, um, I'm over it and move on. It's stuck in there. So how I love that, that, that part of his podcast, your podcast, how did it make you feel, Jen, when he started talking about that, explaining that, and then walking you through it? Because ter- therapy is not going to fix you, but it gives you an opportunity to get it out. How did that make you feel then? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love therapy. I highly recommend it. Just find the right therapist, right? And I also say that therapy shouldn't be easy. Um, cause therapy is really about having you kind of look on the inside and, and examine the trauma and the emotions that go along with it, which Ellen helped me to kind of break it down. Um, because 10 years ago, the words trauma and PTSD and things like that, like I, I had no idea what those things were. Right. So this was all new to me and by Ellen coming on and breaking it, it, it gave me even more insight because so I, I remember going, oh, that's a different story. Did you oh, I, go to a therapist? Absolutely. I had had therapy before for relationship things. And so I had no problem going to therapy. I know it's scary. I know it, it takes strength to go in and share your vulnerabilities and everything that you're feeling. But I went into get answers. I went in to figure out why I'm feeling this way. And then how do I, how do I fix that? You know, the robbery, I'm not going to forget it. I'm not trying to forget it. I'm, I understand the emotions that I went through, um, the triggers. And you talked about, um, you must've listened to my concealed carry Annie Oakley. Um, didn't even know that trigger was in me. Um, uh, yes. So I worked through that. But really learning to work through your triggers because they can happen at any moment is so effective. Yes. And the things that will trigger us may not have anything to to do with that actually event we're thinking about. You know, some of my triggers aren't related to the relationship rod. They might have gone back way when I was young and those all stay with us. So it's important um, that just pretending, you know, putting them under a rock is not going to get them out of us. Absolutely. Uh, and that concealed carry, there's another one of her podcasts when she confronted her fear of the gun. Tell us a little bit about your, what the concealed carry was. Yes. So my husband is like, let's go get our concealed carry license. I said, uh, okay. And before the um, day was to come, I started to have this foreign feeling inside like anxiety. And come to find out that even though I grew up around guns and didn't have a fear, I actually had a fear and think it triggered from the robbery because the gun went from hunting and, you know, save to all of a sudden threatening my life. And so that was very traumatic. I ended up taking private lessons. It's a very raw episode. I, I literally went and came home and recorded it right away because I wanted it to be raw because I'm a firm believer that, you know, especially as a woman survivor of gun violence, that you have the right to protect yourself and that you can overcome the fear of, of a gun and learn how to use it safely and have that healthy fear of it, which, which is healthy. You should have a healthy fear of it, but to respect it. Um, so 
It was a very meaningful episode. Did not expect to do an episode on it. Um, but again, the trigger appeared and I said, you know what? I can't be the only one that's experiencing this. So I'm going to put it out there. And it was, so I did. it was important because you also said there that it's people that hurt people. It wasn't yeah. that because your instructor said, you know, the gun is metal. It's plastic. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's the person behind it. And so I, we're not going to get into the whole gun thing, but I grew up with them also. I understand it. I was trained with guns. Um, I, when I remarried, my husband does not like them at all. So I went from a husband who had an arsenal to one that didn't want them at all. And now I don't have any in my home. Yeah. And part of me kind of wishes I had at least one, but I understand now I have hurricane windows. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, it's that fear until until you get it in your hand and you get your power back. Yes. And you actually did. It took some time. Yes. And I did. And and I have my concealed carry and I have my own gun. I probably need to go practice it some more, um, which is good for any person who has a gun. Um, but I also recognize that I can go for maybe half hour, 45 minutes. And then my body says, okay, that's enough you know, and, and I listen to that. I respect it and I'm okay with it. Um, and then we, we go home and then we'll go back and do it, um, another day, but yeah, that was, what was the the reason for the repetition and how did you feel the more you went to practice and to get familiar with things? So the more you go, the more your body gets used to, because it was an indoor range. So you have other gunshots going off next to you. Um, Freddie taught me the process on how to hold my gun. So the more you do it, the more it just kind of becomes routine and you don't have to think about it. So it becomes easier. It takes that stress off of, okay, what was this step, this step, this, you know, anytime you're learning something new, once, once it's in your head, then it, it takes some pressure off and anxiety. Um, and just, yeah, just, I don't know the, for me, it was just going and and facing it and my body just got more used to it that it didn't physically react because I would cry even, even after my, um, private training, I would go and after 20 minutes, I I was fighting tears. I was cage and you can do it. You can do it. But the tears just over. I just cried. And then I remember Freddie would bring me a paper towel. He was like, it's okay. He was like, don't push yourself. Listen to your body. You know, you're done for the day. And that's quite all right. You know? And so just lots of words of encouragement and, and be gentle on yourself, you know, be gentle. Well, I heard you say that you went from fear to determination. Yes, exactly. And that's important in the process of recovering, you know, in a, in recovery to own it and really, you know, I always say, and we've talked about it, taking your pain and making it your, your passion and then your purpose. And the determination for me is the reason I do a lot of things. The purpose behind my show or the things that, you know, we do as advocates, it's important because it's not about us anymore. Right. Exactly. My podcast is not about me and and like you, uh, because we're both interview type podcasts, is my podcast wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the other survivors and their strength and their courage to come forward and want to say, hey, I want to tell my story. But also it's important because you and I provide an environment where they feel safe and they feel trusted. 
because that's so important that we provide that so that that they can come forward and be comfortable in, in sharing. Because we're not alone. You are a victim of a, of a crime that is totally different than mine. But because we've been through something that was fairly traumatic in different yeah. ways, there are many things that are the same. And so that's why when, when you and I talked to about the victim blame, there's no place in this world for victim blame. There's just none. It's not fair. Uh, and it's not right. And so I've done a lot of work on that recently, where by educating people what has happened and how, how trauma affects the body, and it affects everybody, everybody has had something happen to them. And to have someone from the outside that's not related to you or, or has no idea what happened, come and make snarky comments. Uh, it's hurtful. And go back into people hurt people and hurt people hurt people. And that's, we got to get past that. And I wrote an article recently about civility and respect. We've got to get back to that and be thankful for the, for the first responders, be thankful for the 911 calls that we're able to do, able to call in, you know, be thankful for the victim advocates that are out there in the world. Uh, and be thankful for folks that have been through something and are willing to speak up because have you found that speaking to your, your guests before and then after your podcast, what, how are they feeling? How do they, mm. can you feel a difference? <clears throat> yes. I did a recording actually on Monday and it was the first time she had ever really shared her story. And I asked her afterwards, I said, how do you feel? And she said, I feel a sense of relief. And like, I'm not carrying around this secret anymore that she was like, I don't have to be embarrassed. I don't have to be ashamed that this happened to me. And so she felt just empowered is, you know, probably a really good word to go back to as well. So, and I love that I can just provide that, that space for people to feel that, you know, it's important. I, I feel the same way. And we, it's very difficult for us to get many of our survivors to speak up. And, uh, and we've been doing that recently with SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. We've had individual interviews and some have gone public. Some have stayed private within our group, but it just gives folks an opportunity to get the story out. Mm-hmm. Like you said, in a safe environment, but it, it's the first, for me, it was the first step to really recovering is to release the emotions of it. You'll never forget it, but it just doesn't, it's not you anymore. It's not, it doesn't define you. It's a part of your life. The, the robbery doesn't define who you are. I'm sure at some point you said, okay, I'm not a victim. I don't want to be defined as the victim. I don't either. You know, I want to be the one where our story makes a difference for somebody else. Absolutely. So I want to thank you so much for telling your story because you've done some great things. And and the podcast, how can folks listen to your podcast? Uh, All of my episodes are on my website. And so that is www.ineedblue.net, but it is also on all of your favorite podcast platforms. So I am on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, all of those places as well. And she's had some amazing guests. In, you know, in addition to herself and, and uh, the, the doctor, Alan, uh, you have interviewed a mom who lost a son, a, a gold star, a gold star mom. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, just some, I've, I've started listening to some of them. They're as a survivor myself, I do uh, get a lot out of other stories, other people's stories. I, that's why I love my podcast because we can learn so much about other people by listening to their stories and you develop empathy and, and it's the support. It's the, you're not alone anymore. Yes. And, and that's what's wonderful. And you did one, actually, we, this is a whole new, whole nother show called about situational awareness uh-huh. and situational awareness in your particular thing is, is physical situational awareness, uh, looking at your surroundings um, in ours, it's situational awareness of protecting yourself online and knowing the tools and the strategies and, and the things to look out for. And that the email I got yesterday from the IRS saying that I had just gotten a 248 pound refund. I'm getting 248 pounds of British pounds. I'm thinking, okay, delete. But there are certain things to look at. And that's what I think we've, we've learned over the years on what are the things that we, that are the, um, the aha moments or the red flags. You know, I used to say there are pink flags, but there are definitely some red flags in your situation too. There are some red flags on when you're out and about and what you should be looking for. So Jen, your podcast is called I Need Blue. Go to www.ineedblue.net. Listen to our podcast. Uh, We're going to try to get your therapist on a show because I think it's so important. Um, He did say something about that trauma changes your life. And it's helpful to tell your story. He goes, trauma is, like I said, trauma is stored in the brain. And it's going to stay there unless we talk it out. So thank you for being my special guest and talking out your story. Again, folks, go to her, her podcast, hear her whole story. Episode one and episode two. Episode two has the therapist. Don't let these things stop you. Be aware. When you go to the mall, be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of who's in the store and how to get out. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike actually just introduced me to a product called Birdie. I don't, I did a- Oh, I just saw uh, that. Tell everybody about that. Yeah, I did a video on it. So Mike is an executive safety expert and him and I have partnered together and and Debbie is going to also partner with him too. So I'm excited. You'll love that, all of that information. But he was telling me about a product called- birdie and if you go on my website you'll see a video on the first page as well all about it because there's a coupon code so we all like to save money but it's this cool device where all you do is you pull one end off and it flashes a strobe light and it makes a really loud noise like a beep like a really loud noise and so for people who don't want to carry a gun and one thing i learned from mike with mace is he was like well that's fine but he was like what if the wind is blowing in your direction and you spray that He was like, now it's in your eyes and you've just disabled yourself even more where this thing is, it just makes noise. And it, you know, if somebody wants to hurt you, they don't want noise. Like they don't want to be seen. Right. So it's a, it's an easy way to protect yourself as well. And I think it's like $32. So it's affordable. Yeah. I think I wrote it down. It's like she's birdie.com, but go to Jen's website. And honestly, I thought about it for my mother because has gone outside and she's fallen outside. And it's early in the morning. There's no yard guys around. My dad sound asleep, couldn't hear it. But that noise, I could give mom one and she could just pull it and the whole neighborhood would hear her. Yeah. So 
it's, it's small enough. You can put it in your pocket, your purse. Like we walk our dog at night. And so I put it now in my pocket because between the light going off in the dark and then the noise, I think that would really alert someone. Great idea. It was developed by mom and teenage daughter. So again, somebody who was looking at, wow, how can I take this situation and, and make it better? And, and they found something that helps all of us. Perfect. Perfect. So we will, we'll put that out there too. I thought that was really fun. I saw you talking about that this morning. So thank you, my friend so much for your, thank you for sharing your podcast on INeedBlue.net. It's really lots of fun. There's survivor stories that I want those guests on my show. They're amazing, but thank you again. I appreciate you and everybody. Thanks for being here. I will um, end this with another beautiful day in paradise. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can... Make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfoteaming products at BenfoComplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.